Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today, I'm joined in the studio by Ambo. Ambo is one of our Discord community members, and he is from Germany. It's the first time that we've had a guest on the podcast who is not from Canada or the continental US. And I know that based on our listener stats, that the vast majority, over 65% of you, are from the United States, with the other double-digit percentages from Canada and the United Kingdom. So I'm extremely excited to have Ambo here with us to share a bit about what Airsoft is like in another part of the world, and in particular to talk about his experience at a Milsim event called Border War. Now, for the uninitiated, Border War is an award-winning 50-hour Milsim held near Prague in the Czech Republic, also known as Czechia. This year was their 14th edition, so 14 years of Border War, with planning for Border War 15 already underway. It's a really large event. Uh, typically, uh, in the past, you've seen players from all over the world, over 31 different countries in the past. And it's uh, an event that is welcoming to both new players as well as returning player. And many airsofters in Europe consider Border War the premier Milsim event. And so it's no surprise to see European content creators such as Novrich, for example, be in attendance. But I'll let Ambo talk about it a bit more. So Ambo, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me here. Awesome. Well, my first question for you is about your history with Border War. So how many, because I said, you know, they, I said in the intro, you know, they've done 14 editions. So how many of those editions have you played? And sort of what got you into Border War in the first place? Yeah, so um, at the end of August this year, this was my third Border War. Um, I went 2020, 2021, and now 2022. Unfortunately, I did not experience um, Border War before COVID because um, the event mm. was a lot bigger then. So uh, with regulations in the Czech Republic, they had to um, limit the event size to a maximum of, I think, 1,000 players. And before that, they sometimes even had 2,000 plus players there. Oh, wow. Um, unfortunately, I can't talk about any experience with that since I haven't experienced it. Um, so what got me into the event? Um, Basically, yeah, videos and uh, the desire to finally go to a big event. Um, like you said, Border War is one of the biggest, if not the biggest event in Europe. And it's um, it's just like the place to go for a large event. Right. And so you live in Germany. And so this was in Czech Republic or Czechia. So how, what was the preparation for you? Like, like how long did it take you to get there? How do you get there? Like, how does logistically, how did that work for you? Um, so since... I'm in the south of Germany, um, southeast. Um, it took me about, yeah, total driving time was five hours with stops, six, maybe six and a half hours. Okay. Um, and my preparations for it, well, to be honest, I lost a lot of weight since last year. Okay. Um, it wasn't especially for border war, but airsoft was actually a big motivating factor for me. Um, and... I really felt that this was a good thing for me when I played this year. Um, also, I started running again. Mm -hmm. um, in the past, I uh, was into running. I did run a lot, but then uh, I stopped and gained a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. um, what I did not do this year for preparation was rucking. Um, the last two years, I always um, did a lot of rucking beforehand. So um, seven kilometers with a 20 kilo ruck. Um, in about an hour and 15, something like that. I, oh, wow. Um, I did that often to prepare myself for the event. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that this year. It was a mistake. Should have done it. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, then the other thing I did to prepare for it, um, the company leader of the company I was in the last two years and this year as well, um, he set up a WhatsApp group for all the team and platoon leaders. And um, I was in there as well. And this was also good because we could plan things beforehand. Um, we did fix that um, my teammates and uh, another team who we are friends with uh, were allowed to play recon for our company, which I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing I tried to prepare for was um, getting my radio equipment in um, uh, in shape because 
Uh, we had a bit of communications problems last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked out better this year, but still not perfectly. Right, of course. And um, then, of course, I had to pack all my stuff. So my regular airsoft gear, of course. So mm-hmm. um, my rifle, I did also take a backup rifle just in case something went down, which luckily didn't happen. Um, plate carrier, helmet, uniforms, all that stuff. Then uh, I took a tent with me oh, wow, okay. um, to sleep in because uh, at Border War, you have either the option to, ca- um, to sleep in base camp or on camping grounds outside of the play area. But either way, you need your own tent or some other thing to sleep under. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they uh, only allow um, tents in, let's call it, military colors. So basically, olive, tan, black is okay. If you have a civilian tent in like red, orange, whatever, you have to pull a tarp over it. Mm-hmm. Um I have like a cheap used tent from the French army, which is okay. Um, so no problem there. Um, and then I took the tarps and uh, to just like have a place to stand uh, when it's raining. Um, I took like a cooker, uh, food for three days. They have catering there, but I didn't want to walk all the way to off zone just to have something to eat. So I took my own food. Mm-hmm. Uh, cooked it at, in the cooking area in the base camp uh, and also a bunch of water okay. um, they have uh, water containers there where you can f- uh, refill your water for free um, but um, they recommend to have a minimum amount of water to um, just in case the containers run empty mm-hmm. yeah. and um, they recommend a minimum of 3 liters I went with I think 10 liters of water and then like three or five liters of like soft drinks. Right. Um, yeah. And so, so I guess you're, you're not carrying all that water with you on the field all the time. Like that stays at your base camp in your tent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It stays in your base camp and uh, you carry into the field how much you think you need. I'd recommend like at least three or four liters. Um, yeah. Possibly even five. Yeah. So how does Border War uh, work exactly? Can you, because I understand, like I was, you sent me some of the brief, I was looking through some of the documentation and I I know that there's more than two teams. So could you explain a little bit about how it works? Yeah, sure. Um, There's an overarching story um, that changes every few years. So um, you usually have like two to three years, which have a story in like the same imaginary place of the world. Mm -hmm. And um, it's usually about two borders in uh, two countries in sort of a border conflict. And one country sends its modern military force, which is the task force. And the other funds like local resistance fighters, which is the militia. And then there are two different PMC units, uh, which can be bought by the factions, but they have their own missions, objectives, etc. So sometimes they have to do like VIP protection or um, they are there to protect the village, which is, which is also a different faction, um, the civilians. Um, they are, uh, they basically play as NPCs. Um, they offer a lot of role play elements to the game. Um, and then there are also bandits, which are very few in numbers. They are basically civilian, look like civilians, but they are armed and try to steal like resources and stuff like that. But I've never interacted with them before. And some events even had another group, um, the so-called uh, CN observers, which is basically UN peacekeepers slash blue helmets. And uh, but they weren't. Uh, a faction this year. Okay. So when you sign up for the event, do you select the faction that you want to be a part of? Or are is it only open to certain people? Or how does, how does that work? Um, you generally can select the faction you want to be a part of. So you have to buy a faction ticket. Okay. Um, so um, you cannot easily change from one faction to the other, but you buy a ticket for that faction. And uh, before the event, you will also get uh, information that is specific for that faction. For example, um, in your war note, there will be a list of like 
enemy commanders and other persons of interests that you should capture if possible. Okay. Um, and also there are some factions um, like the PMC and uh, the Task Force Special Forces which you can also just sign up to, but are heavily recommended for experienced players. Okay. Um, because uh, they have, uh, the PMCs have a lot of role play in it. And um, the uh, Task Force Special Forces, they are um, in the field the entire time. So they have no base camp, but instead they carry all their gear they need, um, set up a patrol base somewhere conduct patrols or raids from there, come back to the patrol base, gather up their stuff, move to the next one. Um, yeah, so they have to carry all their stuff and therefore it's uh, recommended for experienced players. Yeah, definitely sounds like it. One of the things as well that I was, uh, when I was looking through the rules that I thought was interesting, uh, was that there's a, a big emphasis in the rules about no solo play. Like you should never do anything alone. You should never go anywhere alone. And I've even seen in certain cases that players can be reported for doing that. Like if they're, if you're, you know, and here I'm not talking about like, oh, my teammate got hit and now by myself. I mean, someone who actively goes to do things by themselves like a lone wolf. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, do you, is that some, is that a problem that you've seen? Mm, honestly, I don't really know. Like I didn't see something like that. Um, I think it's mostly a safety thing. So um, they want you to always have a buddy with you because mm -hmm. the area is pretty big. And if you, if something happens to you at some point and you're, deep in the woods um worst case you might be in some hole or something um or like a valley and you can't reach anybody by radio mm -hmm. and you have i don't know you hurt your foot and you can't get up the hill to um ha to reestablish radio contact yeah, so i think it's about safety and also about um keeping the units and companies together uh, for gameplay reasons mm -hmm. um yeah Solo plays, the only time I really saw solo play happening is usually on Sunday um, morning because Sunday morning, um, many people already um, start packing up their stuff and don't play anymore. So um, then sometimes people go out alone, but also they usually are in groups, so small groups that go out on their own. Okay, gotcha. Okay, one more question about the gameplay before we talk about your actual experience over the over the, the yeah, weekend. Sure. So I think, and this is particularly, I think, relevant for, for people who are like us, like in Canada and the United States, the vast majority of airsofters speak English, right? And, and in, in Canada and the US in particular, they only speak English, right? Whereas what you were just saying about border war, I mean, you've got people coming from all around Europe speaking multiple different languages. Uh, and I know that being bilingual or speaking many languages yourself speaking you know german and uh, english is much more common in europe than it is in north america but i'm curious how how does border war get around that because i'm sure there must be some unilingual people who show up to play airsoft at border war um so the official event language is english um therefore it's heavily recommended for you to speak english but they do sort companies by language. So, for example, we had uh, the company I was in was uh, Alpha Company, which consisted of Germans, Austrians, and uh, Swiss people from the German-speaking part of Switzerland. And also we had a group of Romanians in our company who did not speak German, but they wanted to be in Alpha because of uh, previous experience they had with uh, Alpha Company. Um, then uh, I think Romeo Company, it was, had uh, French-speaking people, so um, French, Belgians, uh, also Swiss. And squad leaders and above should speak English. So um, if you just are like your regular, regular player, no problem. If you don't speak English, your squad leader will very likely speak your language. Mm -hmm. And your immediate teammates will as well. But um, if you are a squad leader or uh, even more so platoon or company leader, you have to be able to speak English. Um, but uh, for example, in our company, um, Alpha Company, we did most uh, of the stuff in German. And only the commands for the Romanian uh, players were in English or uh, when our uh, company leaders communicated with headquarters. So even if you don't speak English, it's not that big of a problem. 
That's really interesting. Any uh, any problems as a consequence of language barriers? Yeah, they um, usually arise if you um, play together with like people on the same side. So also other task force players, but who are in different uh, companies. So I don't know, it was last year or two years ago, I had a situation where I basically had in my broken French uh, explained to um, a group of French players that, hey guys, stop shooting at those people over there. They are task force as well. Like, yeah, I know they are wearing like gear that's very on the edge of the regulations, but like they are task force as well. Don't shoot them. Interesting. Um, so it happens sometimes that you have problems, but usually you will find a way around it. Also, because people usually are in teams and one person in the team will usually be able to speak English. Yeah, fair enough. All right. So enough about like the, the the gameplay setup. Let's talk about your experience at Border War. So tell us a little bit about sort of how this year went for you, like uh, showing up in some of the games and et cetera. Um, I was super happy with this year, um, even though it rained a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, because when uh, we played our first border war as our team three years ago, we met the guys who were already doing recon and we thought, man, that's super cool. We want to do that as well. Last year, it unfortunately didn't work because um, Alpha Company was too small to spend that many people on recon. Mm -hmm. And this year, my teammate and I, we could finally join the recon team, um, which I absolutely loved. Like that was, um, that was what I wanted to do. And a total highlight for me was uh, when we were on reconnaissance patrol um, and we split up into two two-man teams. So we were four in total and we split up into two-man teams. My teammate and I, we got into contact. And basically what we did, we jumped up, fired a few shots and started a mad dash in the other direction. So to, mm -hmm. break, to break off contact. And... The enemies didn't follow because I think they were like, okay, we saw two people, but we don't know, are there more? What happens there? We don't know. They didn't follow. We got into a safe position, waited there for some time, and then moved back up. And when we were back in position, um, the other two-man team, they got sort of noticed, but not spotted. There was one or two enemy players who thought, okay, someone is there, but we don't know, and started basically firing shots just into the brush. Mm -hmm. to maybe hit someone but and we stayed completely still um until they lost interest so we laid there on the ground only trusting our camouflage just waiting like what happens now do we have to jump up and fight against a much larger group against whom we basically have no chance or do they lose interest and then at some point the lost interest turned the other way around because then a large task force uh, group um, showed up from the other direction and they turned that way and started fighting them. Mm -hmm. So we fell into their backs. Oh, wow. Because we were maybe 50, 60 meters away from them when they turned around. And when we were sure, okay, they are occupied, we got up, slowly moved closer and started getting them. But then unfortunately, after we got a group of them, the other task force team thought we were enemy re oh, reinforcements no. and started shooting at us as well. And I got team killed. But oh, no. uh, my other three teammates, they made it out of there. Um, I had a ni nice chat with uh, some of the other task force players who were also hit. Um, I think they were from Hungary, but I'm not entirely sure. And yeah, we walked back to base together because um, we didn't have medics there. <laughs> and I could get medic. That sucks. Oh yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun. It was adrenaline pumping after like hours of I think at that point we were two or yeah, roughly around two hours just walking through the bush, sneaking, being stealthy. Um, and then that situation where the adrenaline pumps and you rush and you get someone, and then yeah, well, it happens that you are got uh, hit, but who cares? It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So that mission that you were on, was that a mission that was given to you by your like your team leader? Or how, how did you get assigned to do that? Yeah, um, it, is, it works like that. HQ in the morning gives out the um, operations to the company commanders. 
Uh, in that case, um, they had different parts of the um, border, which was running between the two states of the game scenario, uh, where we should basically um, all, I don't know if all task force companies, but many, I think three or four task force companies uh, should cross the border into enemy territory to secure something. And um, we were, uh, the companies were uh, put on different places where they are supposed to be, different mm -hmm. operational areas. And um, our job was basically to go the long way around. Um, so we are behind the um, expected enemy, which did work out. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we weren't on the same height as our company. So we wanted to get an, on the same height as Alpha Company. But when we had this engagement, we were still on the same height with Charlie Company, mm -hmm. who, of course, didn't know that there are friendlies in their, that area. Right. And that will probably also have uh, played a big part in the uh, team, uh, in the friendly fire incident. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so basically your company leader gets uh, the mission. And then it's up to them to how they have structured their platoons, how they communicate with their platoons, platoon leaders. Um, I think the uh, the company leader in the German company does it pretty well. Um, it's, I think, his third or fourth year as a company leader. And he uh, that usually gave a briefing to his platoon leaders and to us as the recon team. And then we as the recon team, we just started going out. So... Mm -hmm. As soon as we got our briefing, we came completely ready to the briefing and then marched out of base. While the platoon leader, leaders then went to their platoons, uh, gave them the briefings, uh, they started to get ready, and then they marched out about an hour behind us. Right, okay. And so for you, I think uh, as we were leading up to this episode, I think you had said you played uh, Friday and Saturday, but not Sunday. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Um I played uh, Friday and Saturday, but on Sunday, um, two of my teammates, uh, they had a bit of uh, problems with uh, exhaustion, and I think one had something on his foot. And we said, okay, there's no real use in splitting us up. And also the other two guys, um, unfortunately, we were four people in two cars, mm -hmm. and each car had one person missing. So... If, it's, if it would have been two people from one car, we could have said, okay, you guys, you pack your stuff together, you leave, yeah. and we still stay. But this way, both guys would have had to wait four hours. Yeah. And so we didn't play on Sunday, which um, Sunday often is more of a big free-for-all because already many people are leaving and it usually comes to one last um, mm, glorious attack of the rebels at the task force base. And... Um, it's like I said, a big free for all, basically. Gotcha. It's interesting. You just mentioned uh, when we, when I was talking to, uh, Chaz and Sam and Nick about their experiences at Copperhead, you know, they, one of the things that they have to deal with a lot is heat exhaustion. Like that for them is a big, big deal because, you know, it's easy to be well over 35 degrees Celsius, um, and even hotter than that when they're operating at, at Copperhead, right? It's, it's, you know, 40 degrees Celsius is not un unheard of. So, what is it like for you in uh, in Czech Republic? I would expect that it's not quite that hot, but like, what are some of the other environmental factors? Yeah, um, I think Copperhead is in desert, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't get as hot, but um, weather can be changing. Um, so basically, um, on Thursday evening when we arrived, um, right after we had put up our tents, which was really lucky. It started with a really heavy downpour, which continued until I think one or two in the morning. And then on Friday, everything was wet, but we had nearly 30 degrees of Celsius and um, basically no cloud coverage. So it was pretty hot um, combined with all the wet, humid air. Um, that was quite draining. Um, we as a recon team, we had... Um, actually get a water resupply by our company at one point because we just ran completely out of water. Um, oh, wow. That day I had three liters with me and I went through them in maybe four hours, something like that. Um, then on Saturday, after it rained again on Friday evening, Saturday was um, a lot less hot, maybe 20 degrees, something like that. So um, basically perfect airsoft weather 20 degrees um, mm -hmm. okay the ground was wet but it didn't rain until the evening 
So um, that was quite nice, actually, Saturday. Um, we also were pretty lucky because it always started raining right after we had put up our tents, right after we came back from a mission, right after we got hit. And mm -hmm. we were back, so we had luck with the weather. I think other people didn't have as much luck and were basically stuck out in the field when it started raining. And it's funny, like, I, I'm curious about this. We, we didn't talk about this before, but you sounds like you do a lot of walking. Do you have any idea how many kilometers you walk during a Border War event? Um, I think we did somewhere above 10 kilometers per day. Oh, um, okay, yeah. So um, I think, yeah, we should have done somewhere 10 to 12 on Friday. And I know my teammates did 15 on Saturday, but I didn't do as much because I got hit and walked straight back to base while they took the long way around. Right. Um, but yeah, it's um, you do a lot of walking, but um, we in our recon role did um, more walking than you would do as regular infantry. Because um, regular infantry has um, vehicle transports available at some as sometimes, so not all the time, but sometimes. Yeah, I saw that in the rules brief. There's actually a few different types of vehicles, right? Yeah, you have uh, four classes of vehicles. Basically, um, you have a technical, which is just a truck with a machine gun on it. Um, mm -hmm. It has no armor, so. If the windows are hit, or many people just roll down their windows and have, uh, or don't even have windows in those vehicles, um, the drivers or passengers can also be hit. Um, and those vehicles take uh, one rocket hit to destroy, if I remember correctly. Um, I can get into the rocket system after the vehicles if you want to. Sure, yeah. Um, then you have uh, the cargo truck, which is usually um, provided by the game organizers. And I think the cargo truck takes two hits with the rockets. Um, then you have the juggernauts. Um, juggernauts are usually brought by players. So there are teams who own um, different cars that either are actual military vehicles, but that's not so often. I think um, a few years back, a British team rolled up with two Land Rover Defenders. Oh, wow. Um, but usually oh it's... Um, yeah, usually it's um, usually it's basically they take some type of um, four by four car and they add like wooden facades to make it look like a Humvee or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And those juggernauts are considered armored and take uh, three rocket hits. And then um, there's also um, this year there wasn't because it had an engine failure, but uh, usually they also have an old APC from the Czech Army and. That one takes four hits to take out. And the um, juggernauts and APCs, they can move under fire, but only um, walking distance. And I think the juggernauts can only move backwards under fire, but I'm not entirely sure about that one. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned the rockets. Like, how does that work? Because I'm assuming most players don't carry around airsoft rocket launchers, right? Yeah, exactly. So basically at Border War... Um, Unfortunately, thrown grenades and also like tagging grenades are both prohibited uh, due to safety hazards. Uh, one big thing there is forest fire danger mm -hmm. uh, or wildfire danger. I think it's in English. Um, but yeah, um, the rockets uh, basically work this way. You can be provided rocket launcher um, mock-ups by the organizers or if you bring your own mock-up, uh, you can have it registered by uh, at the org at the headquarters, mm -hmm. and then you get a big uh, orange flag for it. And if you want to fire a rocket, one person um, kneels down with the rocket launcher, and another person puts a reflective vest on, takes the flag, and runs up to the vehicle. So the person with the flag cannot be hit because uh, they are the rocket which is flying at the right. vehicle. But uh, the guy with the rocket launcher, uh, they can be hit. And if you hit them before the rocket is fired, of course, uh, the rocket will miss or isn't fired. Um, yeah, that's how the rockets work, uh, which is a bit strange, but it works surprisingly well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a that's a fair point about, you know, the... the and I mean, like, for example, in Canada, like the tagging grenades and pyro grenades are just 
not allowed. You you can't have them. Like you cannot buy them, right? So it's uh, I definitely understand being creative about game rules to be able to accomplish some of this stuff. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So thinking about your weekend, what were aside from the the recon that you were talking about, what were some of the the key sort of like moments that stood out for you, like cool moments that you had? Okay. Um, so I think the best part actually for me um, was our company leader who after the event told us, hey guys, um, I was really happy with your performance. You did great work. Um, you provided us with good intel uh, when the radius worked. <laughs> um, and um, like he didn't have to micromanage us or anything. He told us the objective. We came up with our plan. We got there and did our job. And I think uh, like for me, that felt really good to know like, hey, we could actually do something here and we, we achieved something. We helped our team and that felt really great. Um, the other thing that stood out for me, um, which wasn't a good part, but in retrospect, it was a funny part. Um, I shot my own team leader in a friendly fire incident. <laughs> um, we had a bit of a miscommunication because I, I thought he told me, hey, cover our other teammate while he checks the enemies we just took out. And uh, that's what I understood, which I didn't get was that he will also move up. We were on sort of like um, uh, we, in a downhill uh, situation. I was farther uphill than, than him. Mm -hmm. And he moved up below me, but I didn't realize that until in one bush, I suddenly saw like only the silhouette of ghillie suit. Mm -hmm. Um exactly on line with the enemies we just took out. And I called out uh, to the silhouette and I didn't hear anything. So I started firing and I was my own team leader, yeah. uh, which was really shitty in that situation. But yeah, stuff like that happens. So we know we got to improve our communication for the next time. Mm -hmm. um, generally, like communication is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Were you all wearing ghillie suits on the recon teams? Um, basically, um, my one teammate, he always wore a ghillie suit. Um, our team leader didn't wear a ghillie suit, but he had very heavy scrim on his uh, head, which in some parts even went down to his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And I had my ghillies, uh, I had also scrim on my head and a sniper veil over my shoulders and my ghillie suit basically on my backpack for if I have to take a position for longer times or anything, but I didn't want to wear it the entire time because it's, yeah, it gets hot under that thing, even though it's only a, uh, a ghillie cape that only goes up to chest level. Mm -hmm, yeah. I'm always really curious about ghillie suits because, I mean, I, I built a ghillie suit many, many years ago and I didn't use it very much, mostly because here in Newfoundland, the forest is so dense that like you can't, you can't move through the woods wearing ghillie suit because you just get caught in stuff and you're just, you know, it completely defeats the purpose, right? Um, so that's what I always wonder, like in, in a recon situation like yours, like the trade-off between the lower mobility and the, the higher sort of camouflage, right? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, why none of us went with ghillie pants and even the teammate who went with a uh, ghillie suit is all, also was only a half suit. Mm -hmm. So it also went up to around chest level, um, hiding his head and his shoulders, which are the most exposed parts, which you can the easiest recognize, which are easiest to recognize. And um, yeah, you, you can get caught in some things, but also with the sniper whale, I got caught in branches, and it happens. Um, I think a lot of it is how do you move? Um, do you move slowly? Um, do you move carefully? Uh, which definitely is a big part for us uh, with recon. So mm -hmm. uh, we did nearly all of our movement, not on roads or uh, like we were either on small forest trails, um, deer trails, or even just like straight through the brush. So uh, how to move is very important. Also how to move silently, mm -hmm. um, yeah, which absolutely. I think we aren't the best at, but I think we managed pretty well. Yeah, and it, it's so funny that we're talking about this because I'm I'm writing an episode uh, or a video that I'm going to record uh, in very short order about concealment and camouflage and stuff like that. And one of the things that's st always stood out to me is how noisy people are in the woods. Like growing up myself, I I played in the woods all the time. 
And my grandfather was a hunter and he moved through the woods and he was very quiet. But when we started playing Airsoft, you know, 16 years ago or whatever, people in the woods, it was just so easy to hear them. Well, because firstly, you got people who just don't shut up. Like they just talk all the time. You're like, I don't understand. But also like just even moving around, people are not conscious where they're putting their feet. They're not looking at like branches or my branches, you know, people wear a big pack and they duck their head down, but the the pack gets caught in the branches, all this kind of stuff. Right. So, you know, even when you say, oh, we're not the best. Well, I would say, even if that's true, you're still way better than the average person going into the woods for the, you know, for, for playing airsoft. I hope so. Um, at least we got um, feedback from some other people uh, in our company who were like, yeah, um, if we didn't know you were somewhere, like we only realized you were there when you stood up, raised your hands and waved at us. We, until then, we didn't know you were there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, that's really good to hear. Um, Definitely. But even there, we have rooms where we can improve and um also sometimes that didn't work out the way we wanted to like team kill incidents for example yeah especially with our heavy camouflage um we were within regulations for task force we wore helmets um some of us even wore plate carriers um so we are well within regulation but due to us using a green uniform which is allowed but um so we were I think all of us were running running either Pencott Green Zone or Pencott Wildwood, mm-hmm. uh, the camouflage. And it's allowed, but multicam is recommended for task force. So it's a bit harder to spot us as task force for our own people. And of course, the helmets are obscured by scrims. So we have a helmet on, but it's hard to recognize the helmet. That's why one of our teammates, uh, he always had a sniper whale over his helmet. Mm-hmm. But when we got uh, when we saw other task force units, he quickly took it down so they can see his helmet clearly. Right. Um, so for front foe recognition. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, in any situation, I think if players see something that they don't expect and they they're not a hundred percent sure that it's friendly they're likely going to err on the side of, I'll shoot at it first and see what happens. That's been my experience, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I can totally understand that experience because um, it just happens so often that you think, huh, that guy, I think he's friendly. And no, he was just an enemy who was looking the other way and he (laughs) turns around and gets you. Yeah. Um, Stuff like that. So, Have you ever, this is a random, very random question. Have you ever spotted or determined that an, uh, an enemy player was somewhere because you could smell them? Is that a thing that you've ever experienced? Uh, smell not, um, at least not, uh, not consciously. So maybe, um, sometimes, but it's harder for me because I'm a smoker myself, but sometimes you, um, smell, uh, like old smoke. Yeah. Um, smoking itself is at border war prohibited unless you are in a designated smoking area just okay. uh, because of the wildfire hazard and they put pretty hefty fines on that actually um, which I think is understandable looking at yep. the wildfires that the Czech Republic and um, also Eastern Germany had um, lately so yeah. Um, no I did not recognize someone by smell what happened to me at one point but that wasn't at border war was um, I saw like tall grass move in a very strange way and I blasted it and got two enemies. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah the, the reason I asked this is because was when I'm, I was writing this, this episode that uh, this video that I'm going to be recording, one of the, the uh, things I remember very vividly is, is we had this one guy who used to wear very strong smelling, like deodorant, like perfume. And anytime you were downwind, you would know immediately, oh yeah, he's, you know, 10, 15, 20 meters ahead of me because I can just smell this perfume, which is not, you know, it's Axe body spray or whatever. It's not in nature, <laughs> right? So I just, I just yeah. thought I'd ask you about that. Um, yeah, I think at like smaller games, I might have like caught the smell, but I didn't know, <laughs> is it a teammate? Is it an enemy? It's just too many people in small space at smaller games. Yeah, totally. So what, just coming back to Border War, now, what do you think is yeah. the most challenging aspect for Border War? So someone who has never been to a game like that, what would you say is the most challenging part? Um, I'd say it's actually the walking. So you got to walk a lot uh, with your gear, with your gun, um, which, I mean, 
even if you don't have uh, training plates in your plate carrier and if you run just a very minimalist setup with only a few magazines, um, a radio and your gun and that's it, no, um, no all the cool things which mm -hmm. some people carry. Like, I don't know, uh, was it a border war? I don't know. At some point I saw a guy wearing like a huge breaching hammer <laughs> which i mean it looks cool it looks super cool but why would you carry that three four five kilogram thing through the woods at a place with no doors yeah really <laughs> um but yeah it's i think the walking because you not only have to walk with that weight but you also you gotta be um you gotta be fit mentally um even when you walked for two or three hours because that's the thing sometimes you walk for 10 minutes and you get into contact and um, all hell breaks, breaks loose and you shoot and you play airsoft um, and then it's over and maybe you will continue walking or maybe your company or your platoon took so many losses that you decide to go back to base. Um, but it can also happen that you walk for two, three hours without any contact. Mm -hmm. But you got to stay sharp because if you have contact, you got to be there. You got to be able to move quickly, to get into cover, to fire back, to maybe um, to um, do a moving retreat, stuff like that. So um, the walking and then suddenly switching to fast stuff. I think mm -hmm. that's the really tiring part. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess you're when you're packing for the event, you know, you really need to make sure that you're taking appropriate footwear, appropriate, you know, socks and enough socks to change and all this kind of stuff too, especially if it's wet, absolutely, like you were saying. Um, absolutely. Good, uh, good boots, good socks. That's really, really important. So switching gears now, you know, you mentioned about how successful you were at Border War, but in general, sort of overarching for you, what do you think is the best part of Border War? Like, what is it that keeps you wanting to come back? Um, for me, um, the best part is um, one on like a non-gameplay level. It's just meeting players from all over Europe. And I think some people even come from outside of Europe, um, even farther away. But you meet people from all different places. Um, you get to talk with them about um, airsoft in their country, about um, how they got there, for example, for a lot of people from uh, Western Europe. So... Uh, Belgium, France, etc. It's um, it's hard to get to border war because of um, the complicated German airsoft laws. Mm -hmm. Because to be um, like really short, basically, um, in Germany, only airsofts that were sold in Germany by a registered shop are illegal. So if you want to take your airsofts from France to the Czech Republic, you either gotta go the way around Germany. Or you gotta send them there by mail, or um, you gotta get like an exemption to transport them through Germany, which is uh, complicated to get um, stuff like that. So I I like talking with other players about airsoft how it is for them, or um, yeah, that's just like getting to know the international community. Um, that's the non-gameplay aspect. Um, the gameplay aspect for me is that it's so different to your regular skirmish so mm -hmm. your regular skirmish even on bigger fields usually is okay you are both at your respawns and the referee blows his uh, whistle and you start running to good positions and most people already know their positions and you get in there you try to um do something maybe it works maybe it fails but it's uh, it's very high speed Mm -hmm. but you get a lot of uh, chances to try again, which, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But uh, gameplay at Border War is different. It's a lot slower. Um, it's not as exciting. Um, mm -hmm. But on the other hand, uh, what you do counts a lot more because you might only have this one chance to get it right. Um you said I was successful. Um, I wouldn't call it entirely that because we had one situation. Um, we basically wanted to get to a point that was um, at our, yeah, sort of one to two o'clock position. 
And we had the choice of either walking 50 meters to the right and then 50 meters to the front mm -hmm. or walking 50 meters to the front and then 50 meters to the right. We chose the latter version and came out exactly in front of a prepared enemy position, <laughs> which we stood no chance. They blasted us away mm -hmm. because, yeah, what, what you want to do if those guys lay still there, you basically don't notice them until it's too late. Mm -hmm. um, if we had moved the other way, so first 50 meters to the right, then 50 meters to the front, we would have gotten out behind them and would not only have been able to take out the, um, the position, but also their commander. Oh, wow. So, yeah, sometimes um, that's what I mean with uh, the stuff you do counts a lot more. This could have been a great success, but it turned out to be a big failure because, well, we had a 50-50 chance that we took the wrong one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like I often say to, to to people like when we're getting ready for games or whatever, it's like, listen, you know, you have to do whatever you think is best. You can do everything right and still lose. Like that's that's a reality of uh, of airsoft. I mean, I, I would I was gonna say of combat, and I have no experience with combat, but definitely in airsoft, I can say neither for sure. do I. But airsoft, yeah, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, so you talked a lot about walking. You've talked a lot about um, so, so what you were just mentioning about how what you do counts a lot more. And I definitely understand that and appreciate that from a MilSim standpoint. Um, I guess my question for you is like when you look at videos and stuff of Border War Online, there's a lot of highlight reel footage, a lot of like, you know, content creations and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of exciting moments. But what is it do you, that makes up the bulk of the experience is it that sort of like tension while walking? Is that really the the main experience? Yeah, the tension while walking is a big part of it. Um, but also the other thing is uh, proper planning, like the communication between uh, the company leader, the platoon leaders, the platoon leaders to their squads. Um, you have to communicate while you are on your way to the objective. So we as a recon team may be already at the objective and observing the objective, relaying that to our company leader who then uh, gives according orders to his platoons. Um, you have to communicate like, okay, uh, if you get there, there will be, uh, for example, task force special forces. So don't be surprised if you see someone. And then you get there and it turns out, yeah, there are task force special forces, but there's also a big attachment of enemies, which we didn't know about or stuff like mm -hmm. that. And... Um, like all that communication and working together as a really big group, because for me at day games, it's unusual to have more than four or five people on my radio mm -hmm. and like work together closely. Um, I mean, I try to organize um, all the players that are in, um, in the spawn at the moment, stuff like that. But it's different when, all of you go to this event, um, you have your own team, you know other teams, and basically everybody comes there with a different um, idea than to a day game. Because at the day game, it's basically, I mean, I show up at a day game in my Stargate loadout, which is um, definitely unpractical, and it, I wouldn't play that at a Milsim. Mm -hmm. And everybody is like there with a bit of different mindset and more interest in working together, achieving a goal together. Yeah. And it, it's also, interesting. Did I mention walking? Yes. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it, it's funny. We, we heard the same thing from, from Sam, Chaz and Nick, uh, you know, when I was speaking to them last week, same sort of deal. Like you do a lot more walking during the Milsim than you do during, you know, a regular weekend game. But I, I think your point about communication is so, so important. Like whenever you have, especially a large group of people, like you're talking, you know, 500 players or, or what have you, I think you were saying they capped it at a thousand. That's a lot of people to coordinate, right? And the minute that you don't coordinate, that's an opportunity for friendly fire, like you were talking about, for things yeah. to get confused, for you to lose sight of what's going on on the field, especially for your you know, platoon leaders and commanders who are not physically there necessarily looking at, at the action. So, I mean, I, I definitely take that. I think it's, it's hard to understate how important communication is, that's for sure. Absolutely, um, communication is key. Mm. So I guess for last questions, uh, last question that I had for you, and I, you know, we talked about this with Nick, Chaz, and Sam a little bit, and I know that you know Novrich is a pretty popular, polarizing personality on YouTube, on uh, Airsoft, on uh, the uh, Airsoft subreddit, etc. And I'm not looking to get into that 
uh, particular debate. But there's no question that having well-known content creators in attendance at these types of events um, changes the atmosphere for certain players because either people pay attention to them right because they want to to meet them or what have you which is which is fine or because they themselves are looking to get something from this event in terms of content creation and stuff like that and i think you know uh, uh, sam was telling us a little bit about his experience with his squad and alphonse and stuff like that so what was your experience with that at border border war either directly or indirectly honestly i didn't see much of norwich and his team um they were there at the um final uh, at uh, at the commander's speech in the beginning mm -hmm. and after that i never saw them again which is a bit strange since in the official roster they were part of alpha company because most of his team is from austria right so um they would have been part of our company but um i didn't see them after the initial speech and um they didn't sleep in our koi base um they didn't play with um Alpha company. Um, I saw the Novridge video that he released uh, lately. So he had some kind of special mission from the event organizers, which I guess, yeah, both of them profit from that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a bit strange that when the organizers already planned to give a group of YouTubers a special mission or something, that they then put them, still put them in the roster for one of the companies mm -hmm. because then um, the company gets. Well, it was only, I think, six or seven people, but still it's six or seven people less that the company has. That's half a squad. Right, that makes um, sense, yeah. But I think that's more on the game organizers than Novridge himself. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that uh, the organizers could have done that a bit better. Um, other than that, they um, I did see them in their shop um, on Tuesday, but uh, didn't look too closely because I wasn't that interested. Um and I don't know what they did on Friday and Sunday and Saturday. They probably played. Um, so, yeah. But definitely not a disturbing presence one way or another, right? Yeah. Didn't notice anything like that. Um, but I didn't have much contact with them anyway, because um, like I said, I only saw them at the final, uh, at the beginning speech and then uh, in the shop. Um, apart from that, um, well, we were a recon team. We were out there. In yes, the woods. that's um, true. <laughs> but it, the it, idea I think... was basically not to see our own people. So, <laughs> yeah, and in that respect, I think you were very successful. I, I think it's interesting though because it does really highlight again something we've talked about many times on the podcast uh, and in person, and which is that what you see of airsoft on the internet is not what airsoft is actually like for the vast majority of people, right? If you watch Novich's video on border war, expecting that that will be your border war experience, you are probably not going to end up doing that. Right. Yeah, probably not. Um, it's like, uh, some of the role play elements he did show, um, can happen to you like being, captured and brought to the village um, for some kind of sacrifice. Um, yeah, that can happen to you, actually, because uh, this year's storyline had some kind of cult activity um, in it. But uh, due to my role um, this year, I basically never was in the village. I mm. just walked through the village at one point where we, like I said, just walked straight through it while some weird um, ritual was going on uh, where both task force and rebel players were both in the crowd cheering on the ritual. So no idea what was going on there. <laughs> um, so, uh, the role, I mean, I would like to try out the role play. Um, this year it didn't really work out because of our role. And last two years, uh, unluckily, uh, our company only was in the village uh, when heavy combat was going on. So we didn't have time for the role play. Um, but I think they changed it a bit this year so as not to have um, a lot of combat missions directly in the village. Gotcha. So uh, that uh, the companies uh, have a bit more time in there to engage with role play. Because uh, when, you uh, when you register at the beginning of the event on Thursday or Friday morning, um, you actually get a role play mission. Each player gets a small role play mission. Um, which uh, you can try to fulfill and get points for your team. Oh, cool. Excellent. So can you give me an example? Like, what was yours? Oh, man. Uh, where is it? Um, I still should have, should have it somewhere, but 
Oh God, I can't remember. Um, it was some type of interaction or something um, to, I know my teammate was supposed to talk with uh, the village shaman. And he actually managed to do that because funnily enough, we met the shaman outside the village at some point. Okay. And so he was being escorted by like four other villagers and our team, uh, they started talking and one teammate had that mission. So he could do that if I remember correctly. Oh, excellent. At okay. least they had one mission to talk, I think with the shaman, but I'm not entirely sure. And yeah, uh, that's like the type of missions you get. And uh, you can get, for example, uh, also get uh, additional revives out of that mission. If you uh, manage your mis mission and you are uh, wounded at that point, mm -hmm. um, then they can, uh, the villagers can remove your bandage and you are back to uh, being able to be medicked once. Oh, excellent. Okay. So I know I said that was the last question, but I do have one final one. What is the social scene like? So I understand, like you said, you you know, you set up a camping area or you can go to the other camping area. So, and I know from looking at the brief that you don't do, there's no overnight, uh, like there's no overnight activity, like no raids, like nobody's coming at three o'clock in the morning to shoot you in your tent or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, they changed that a few years ago. Uh, until then, it was allowed to attack the camps at night. Um, now they uh, designate an area of the game uh, of the field as um, the night game area, and then everybody who wants to do night games goes there. Mm -hmm. um, the last two years, the task force camp—I can't really speak about the rebel camp—but um, the task force camp was uh, set up in a large square uh, surrounded by. Um, I don't know how to call that stuff, like um, building site fencing, like this wire fencing uh, on um, on concrete posts. Okay, yeah. Uh, on which they fixed uh, sort of a white cloth, which was a wall that you couldn't really shoot through. And um, that big square was great because you had like a large area in the middle where you had your water tanks and a cooking and smoking station and all the toilets. Um, so all the people from all the different companies met there when they cooked or when they smoked cigarettes, uh, waited on in a line for the toilets, stuff like that. Um, this year, unfortunately, um, the task force came, camp was uh, pretty um, stretched out. So um, our company, Alpha Company, and I think it was Charlie Company, were basically in our own camps because uh, we were separated from the main camp by really thick brush, oh, okay. um, which uh, we then had like a small smoking uh, slot at our um, place. But uh, for cooking, you still had to walk into the main camp. Um, and this way also um, the toilets were a lot farther away than the last two years because the last two years they were, like I said, in the middle where everybody has more or less the same distance to them. And now from Alpha to the toilets, we had to walk, I think it was around 200, 300 meters, uh, which isn't that bad unless it's like the middle of the night and you get up uh, because you have to go to the toilet and you are cold and you don't want to put on all your clothes, but <laughs> yeah. you got to go to the toilet somehow. And yeah, that's, that's a bit stupid then. Um, but yeah, I think the layout this year wasn't as good because it also left us open to attack because right next to the base camp was a hill. So the rebels could get on top of the hill and then shoot down in it oh. uh, during the day <laughs> because uh, during daytime, it's allowed to attack the base camp. And that was unfortunate. But yeah, um, the social life, you meet uh, people there um, when you're cooking your food, when you're having a smoke, when you're waiting in line for the toilet um, or when you just randomly bump into each other or something and you go like, Hey, cool. Is that a first generation UF pro striker pants? Yeah, it is. And you, yeah. And you start a com uh, uh, conversation about that or something. It was a lot of fun. The event, I can definitely recommend it to anybody um, just with the caveat of um, it's going to be exciting, but it's going to be a lot of walking. It's uh you will have your really tense, fast moments, but those are only moments. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like your day game where you have action 100% of the time. Yeah. Also, read the rules. 
yeah. it's, it's good to know the rules beforehand, especially like medic rules, stuff like that. Fair enough. Well, listen, Ambo, thank you so much for joining us. It was awesome to hear a little bit more about what uh, Airsoft is like in Europe. Um, thanks for sharing your experience. Guys, if you're enjoying this type of content, if these are the kinds of conversations that you'd like to have, join us on the Discord. The link is in the description. We have an amazing international community there uh, full of people who are just willing to share their thoughts, ideas on guns, gear, teching, impression kits, everything else. And we would love to have you join. Uh, but until then, that's all we've got for you. Thanks so much for joining and we'll talk to you next week.